This is Holistic Counseling, the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome back to the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. If you're a new listener, I want to say welcome. As a listener, you have access to my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to manifest your holistic practice through journaling. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com, scroll down, and enter your name and email address today. Have you been curious about integrating the body into therapy but are unsure how to do it? Or maybe you have used some somatic skills but want to learn more? Today's guest is Caitlin Jacobson, and she's going to share more about how she uses the body in therapy and uses sensory motor psychotherapy and therapy to treat chronic illness and self-esteem. So welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Thank you so much. I'm listening to your voice and it's so nice to listen to. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of practice. Yeah, I bet. So can you tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work? Yeah. So I'm a clinical mental health counselor here in North Carolina. I work at Kripa Family Psychological and Wellness Services, and I really see kind of a wide variety of people, but I really specialize in treating individuals with chronic illness and that struggle with like very active inner critics and self-esteem. I think with any, as like any other clinician, I use a variety of therapeutic interventions, but I really love using the body in therapy. Yeah, I hear that. It's a game changer, isn't it? It feels really critical to me in like incorporating the body. It feels like this really important piece of navigating therapy. I think so too, because I think if you just stay in the cognitive realm that it's like there's something missing. Yeah, absolutely. And I even feel that all the time. Like right now, you know, I can feel some tightness in my chest, like talking and being recorded. Of course. Um, <laughs> right. So like, it, so I noticed that sensation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so it just, it feels like such a useful part to explore like the role of the body for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it brings things a little bit deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So what first interested you in using the body in therapy? For me, it um, it kind of feels like a like a story arc. I grew up playing a lot of different sports and dance, and it felt like this really kind of foundational part of who I am today. But when I was younger, I feel like when it was like the biggest aspect of my identity, I started to get really sick, and there were a lot of different unknowns around it. So both like the physical manifestations of being ill and like, you know, the mental implications of unknowns and navigating kind of the medical industry really impacted me. And going into college, that felt (laughs) like something I really wanted to, to focus on. It wasn't until I got to graduate school, though, that I first heard about like the incorporation of body in therapy. And for me, I was like instantly drawn to that 
I think talk therapy has so much to value. But for me as an athlete, someone with a complicated relationship to my body and someone who experiences their emotions very physically, the the role of the body, like I was just immediately drawn to and it felt really critical and important for both me as a person and as a counselor. So kind of right out the gates, started to incorporate it and learn about it, both personally and professionally. So it sounds like you're somebody that's really in tune with bodily sensations and what's happening inside. Yeah, absolutely. It feels so much um, more apparent sometimes than than like the cognitive and the emotional. The body, I think, is so intelligent. And I was actually listening to your podcast on body intelligence. But one of the things kind of that I really try and tell clients when learning about like the role of the body, because they're like, why is that important? Is that like, if you were to fall down the stairs, that your body, your physical body reacts seven times faster than your brain cognitively processes what's happening. So our body is always reacting to like both internal and external input. And making sense of that, even if we ourselves aren't aware of that. And that's something that I've come to learn. You, you said, yeah. like, you seem really in tune with your body. Um, sometimes maybe too in too much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I've learned for a lot of people, that's not at all the I case. Know. So I think being able to like describe the importance of it and reconnect to it feels like yeah, this is why this is why it's important. Even if we don't notice what's happening, our body, <laughs> our body says things are happening. Yeah, and I wonder too if if you are that sensitive to your sensations, do you notice your body like with clients in session? Does that give you any clues of what's happening? Absolutely. You know, I, it, when when we first start learning about therapy, they talk about tracking our clients and noticing, you know, what's going on behaviorally. But I feel like their bodies tell so much too. And, you know, sometimes people will be like, it's like you're in my head because they might be saying something. And then, you know, we might be talking about like the tightness in their jaw when they said that or like the way they pulled back when we were talking about something. And they might be like really surprised sometimes because they might be saying one thing, but their bodies are telling another story sometimes. So yeah, for me, I try and be so in tune with, with their bodies and try and like really feel what they're feeling while also noticing what they're doing. So kind of both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That attunement I think is so important. Yeah. I think, you know, to, to mirror it to them, to question and bring attention to it. And then also for them to be able to start to notice those things themselves. Like, oh yeah, I did. Like my, like sometimes it's even, um, you know, skin. Like sometimes there's like visible changes around like the neck or chest with skin getting really red, which is also like really clear evidence of the role of the body in your like thoughts and emotions. True. Yeah. So even just tuning into that. Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about the sensory motor psychotherapy, how is that different than more traditional therapy? Yeah. So talk therapy is kind of what we talk about being like top down therapy. So in talk therapy, the entry point to therapy is 
like our words, our thoughts, and our emotions. While in like sensory motor therapy, it's that bottom up processing. So it's instead of kind of that cognitive restructuring and figuring out the way that our words, thoughts, and emotions shape our experiences, past, present, and future, it's incorporating our physical bodies in that bottom-up processing to make sense of our experiences and emotions, both past, present, and future. Sensory motor psychotherapy is created by Dr. Pat Ogden, who is, in my opinion, an incredible psychologist with a history in dance. So it incorporates the soma, the physical body, and and what we're experiencing on all of our sensations. But it also incorporates that motor piece, the movement. So you know, how, how we really move in this world, you know, sometimes like I'll go on walks with clients or explore their posture or creating movements, a big kind of belief in sensory motor psychotherapy specific to trauma is that our bodies, you know, have these patterns of kind of movement for survival And oftentimes in in times of trauma, those patterns aren't completed. So through um, sensory motor therapy, you can kind of complete that cycle of movement that your body might have gotten stuck in or frozen in to help kind of reprocess and navigate that trauma history. That's so fascinating to think about reprocessing and through movement too, but how do you determine like if they're frozen with some kind of movement from a trauma? Yeah. So I, I would like to say that, you know, I first really just start out with clients by really connecting to their bodies and growing their window of tolerance. So maybe it's that we just start to like contact wellness, right? Maybe it's just, we start to uh, talk about a pleasant time in their lives and we notice their bodies and the ways in which their bodies show up and hold that sensation and really embody that sensation. And when I feel kind of confident in clients' ability to increase their window of tolerance and kind of regulate distress. Sensory motor psychotherapy uses dual awareness. So both being in the present moment, being embodied and feeling yourself safe in this moment, while also, you know, accessing the past. And just, it's it's less about like the client talking about what happened, you know, describing the memories as much as it is them describing and noticing what's happening in their current bodies. So for example, you said, how do you notice or how do you know if a client is frozen? And that would be from either, you know, tracking their movements and, or what they're describing as like, I felt really stuck. Like I, like I couldn't move in that moment. Is that, could that be like a freeze response? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going back to that bottom up processing, it kind of goes to when we think of like the triune brain, that like three layers of our brain, the lizard brain is like the first to to develop in our evolution. And that's that really kind of instinctual like that fight, flight, or freeze. And that's a lot of what we're kind of dealing with our bodies, kind of instinctual reactions in that fight, fight, or freeze pattern when talking about these things. So absolutely a freeze response. 
How would you help a client that's in that freeze response? Yeah. So while both, again, being in the present moment a little bit and and recognizing that we're safe, that's where that movement piece comes in. So it could be a variety of things. It could be focusing on finding any part of our body that feels like it could move. It also might be asking questions like, you know, does your, does your body want to do anything? And this is like such a far out question to clients who haven't yet gone through like contacting wellness and stuff like that. Like maybe you feel like you like need some, some pressure around yourself, or maybe you feel a lot of like energy in your legs or arms. So it's being able to both let the client like explore and honor what their body wants to do, which again is like the most far out question to people who haven't experienced this. And also sometimes helping create sensations that feel really good. So maybe it's, you know, encouraging them to like create pressure against the floor or push their legs against a table. Again, because our bodies do have like this natural intelligence and uh, kind of really instinctual desires, allowing it to carry that out and just being giving the client the space to be curious about their bodies and be patient. Really, you know, their bodies have answers like, oh, I just, I I need to create more pressure and and push more against this. Or actually, I think I need to like kick my legs right now. And we'll continue to kind of track that and check in. And maybe they need to add it or change to it in a way. But really the level of kind of resolve and regulation that they experience from that to me is, has been kind of profound to be able to witness. Yeah. It sounds like it. That's really fascinating. Cause that's something I've learned recently with yoga too, cause I teach yoga in sessions. And, and that's one question I learned was how does my body want to move right now? Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there a pose I want to do right now? <laughs> and listening. And I think you said the word trust, but trusting what comes up, right? So maybe right now downward dog would feel really good for me. And I get it. So, and for me, I try to use intuition to think what am, what is coming up? What do I see? I will see visual things. So I'll see like a pose. And I feel like that's what my body wants me to do <laughs> in the moment. So I don't know if that's like connecting with some of the sensory motor stuff, but but I think that's very powerful for clients, right? To to really integrate that question and trusting what comes up. Because I think I could see a lot of clients be like, what? Yeah. Yes. My body wants yeah. me to kick <laughs> and questioning and getting more cognitive with it. Yeah, absolutely. There feels like a real kind of like psychoeducational piece and like warming up to the idea. And also I think trust in the relationship because Mm -hmm. there's a real kind of vulnerability to being in session and like holding your hands out. Because it, you know, to I think a, a passerby, it's like, what's what's going on in there? Um, <laughs> right. So there's kind of like this real vulnerability to like this this movement piece of recreating and changing mm. postures and and using props. And so so yes, I think you talked about that trust piece. Something that I often try and say is to approach it like an experiment. Yeah. There's you know, in an experiment, like you can 
generate a hypothesis, but you, you know, in the, in the truest form of an experiment cannot for certain know what's going to happen. Um, so really just trying to approach it from an exploratory and experimental point of view versus hoping that certain things happen or judging the experience. So not expecting a certain outcome. Yeah, because like you said, so for example, you might do a downward dog and like, actually, it doesn't feel quite right. Maybe yeah. you need to change it up. So being able to, yeah, be non-judgmental and explore, does this feel right? Do I need to try something different? Can also be really useful. Yeah. So that's a good question too. Is there something different to try in the moment? Yeah, absolutely. And and so we might spend like a whole session trying to find what feels right. And I feel like that language kind of can really parallel some of yoga, like do what feels right. Yeah. <laughs> Do what feels right for your yeah. body in this moment. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I wondered, is it invitational language like we use with trauma-informed yoga? Um, in the sense of like asking if it feels okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I would never, you know, want someone to do something that feels like very dysregulating right. or more mm. than they can handle. So, so that's part of those, you know, introductory and foundational pieces of being able to inhabit your bodies, which I think um, the idea sounds really pleasant, but for both people who struggle with chronic illness and self-esteem, the concept of like inhabiting your body doesn't necessarily feel safe. So it's being able to inhabit your body in a way that feels safe and being able to say no or to come away from it if it's not feeling okay. So absolutely creating that invitation and permission for them. I know you mentioned window of tolerance. Can you just share what that is real quick, just in case there's any listeners who aren't aware of that? Yeah. So I'm going to just talk about it in the way that I always describe them. I'm, uh, I always have a drawing, but our window of tolerance is our ability to be embodied and present without leaving like our distress tolerance window of regulation. So um, leaving our window would look like hyper arousal. So that's that racing heart rate, um, the quick breathing, those feelings of anxiety, or conversely, that hypo arousal, which is something that we see in that freeze response or catatonia when the clients kind of are absolutely stuck. Our window of tolerance is when we're able to, you know, not disassociate or be super dysregulated and stay in our bodies. Does that mean it's without <laughs> any unpleasant sensations? No, um, because in order to kind of expand, I think another word, at least that I use kind of similarly is like to expand our distress tolerance is to be kind of pushing right on the edges Absolutely. Of, of what you can tolerate, but like not overwhelming yourself. And that can be a really fine line. Yeah, that's tough. To, and, and with trauma-informed yoga, that's too, is, is pushing it at the edge of the window, right? We want to open it more without going into sympathetic response. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so that's that constant kind of checking. Well, I don't want to say constant, but that's that frequent checking in of like, you know, how are we feeling? Are we feeling okay? And, and kind of even sometimes for me, ranking how anxious we feel. And when you say ranking, do you mean like scaling that somehow? Or Yeah, sometimes it's like, honestly, using like some SUDs, like subjective units of distress. So on a scale of one to 10, how anxious are you? Yeah. 
Um, sometimes, you know, especially for clients who are, who are new to this experience of embodying, they, they might like check in with their bodies for really one to two seconds. And then you'll see them open their eyes right away. Cause I often, uh, really encourage clients if it feels okay for them to either close their eyes or do a soft gaze so that they can feel really in the moment with their bodies. And you'll kind of see for clients who feel overwhelmed, their eyes kind of open up right away. And that's definitely like, okay, that was too much for us. That was too much. <laughs> so I guess it is that clinical judgment piece of noticing and, and being aware yourself of where they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think trust in each other so that I'm me checking in with them that they're going to name what's going on and them trusting in me that I'm going to be alongside them and tracking and helping them to explore. So it sounds like a lot of too is just building that safety in the session initially. Yeah. And we, we kind of do that in a variety of ways, like regarding our body. So one of the exercises that some of the exercises, I would say three specifically that I really like as like orienting a client to this idea is contacting wellness or pleasant moments, especially with chronic illness clients, being able to like contact pleasant sensations in their body and hold on to it is one that I really like to get clients to orient to this idea of using the body. I also will go on walks with clients and explore like really the way in which they move and navigate the worlds physically and their posture. Um, another aspect of sensory motor psychotherapy is that like the way in which we carry ourselves physically continues to pattern our own beliefs about ourselves. So if we were to like think of some stranger behind the door that was really depressed, we might make, you know, judgments or expectations around the ways in which they would carry themselves, like maybe really slumped shoulders or looking down or moving really slowly. And we would make those judgments because they're often kind of very similar. The ways in which we hold ourselves physically because our bodies are so smart and incorporated with our minds. Our mind is now interpreting kind of that sensory input, right? That internal and external sensory input and making stories out of it. So it's continuing to pattern the ways in which we feel about ourselves. Yeah, that's really fascinating and thinking about that and how the how the way we move and the patterns that come up from that and and really the making those connections so I'm guessing that you'd probably have to work through that to make new connections yeah so we've you know I've kind of touched on like creating safety and contacting you know pleasant sensations for clients with chronic illness but posture um for everyone but definitely clients with self-esteem is is really interesting you know they often talk about maybe like feeling really small or something something that feels kind of intertwined with the narratives about themselves and us working on identifying you know, moments, if there are, or creating a moment of either strength or certainty or whatever the client feels drawn to. And the way in which they carry themselves physically is really cool to witness. And then for them themselves to be able to like, say like, ah, like, yeah, I I don't feel as small or I feel, you know, like my heart rate, like softening a little bit. And then having them continue practicing and recreating that posture to help 
develop new narratives and ways in which they commune with themselves. Yeah, I can imagine that that's really fulfilling to to see the success with that too. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I that I have to say about working with the body is it does sometimes feel like there's kind of immediate gratification both to the client and to the therapist because I do get to witness on occasion really kind of immediate physical and emotional reactions from the ways in which we incorporate our body, which is really incredible. Yeah, that's powerful. Definitely. Yeah, it's really awesome um, to be able to see like some of those changes posturally and the way in which clients start to change, you know, how they really navigate the, the yeah. world. I think even even our eye line, you know, if we're always looking down, like not being able to see safety or connection and by just being able to look up even a little bit more often and you know, seek safety, see what's comfortable and seek connection. Like even our eyesight change or our eye line changing, you know, can have some of those effects. Yeah. It's just those small things, but they make a big difference. And and I'm sure a lot of this too is neurologically based right in our brains. And- yes, absolutely. Yeah. The, the theory is, is definitely, you know, integrated using some of the, like Dr. Peter Levine's somatic experiencing I don't personally feel really qualified to speak on the Hakomi experience, um, but I know Dr. Pat Ogden really relied on the Hakomi experience and incorporating some of that polyvagal theory into the theory as well. Yeah, yeah. I know you talked about working with people with chronic illness. So I wondered how else do you help them to develop a better relationship with their body? Because I know I'm someone with chronic pain and sometimes it's hard to (laughs) have a positive relationship when you know, it's all going to hell and you're in a lot of pain. And I imagine with an illness too, that you're just not feeling well. And that's got to be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I use both the kind of body. So I use an incorporation of like sensory motor psychotherapy, acceptance and commitment therapy and, and pain and neuroscience education when helping clients navigate pain. So being able to identify our bodies as not just unsafe and harmful and being able to feel the ways in which it serves you or notice the physical sensations and how they change without either hyper attuning to them or judgment. Attention to our pain can either turn down or amplify that experienced pain signal. So if I orient to, let's say, you know, my shoulder's hurting, and if I orient to that pain signal, it helps to amplify that pain signal, especially if I'm showing up with a stress response or a response of being really overwhelmed. So that like reaction to the pain and orienting to the pain and focusing on it all kind of continue to amplify that pain signal. Again, some of that kind of experimental lens of just like noticing the sensation without judgment can be really useful as well as attuning to other senses. So it might be a sense in some other place of our body. It might be creating a sense of warmth or using our other senses to you know, focus on maybe like some music or um, like a, a nice warm cup of 
So really kind of send space with our attention. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our response to pain. That makes a lot of sense. Cause I know when I have pain that acts up, it, 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 it does just tune you into that, right? That oh sensation. my gosh. Yeah. It's hard to focus on anything else when it's real bad. Yeah. And then it's like this, you know, it can be really all consuming and, and for me, like self-reinforcing loop of like, now I'm fixating on it and my stress and cortisol levels are increasing. So now the inflammation is rising and my brain is interpreting that danger signal more and more. So yeah, it's, it's a potent relationship that can be hard to disentangle from. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like this approach has a lot of different parts to it that could help. For me personally, as a clinician, yeah, I really try and use a blend of different theories. I I honestly, I think for me personally, the incorporation of like also some internal family systems, like parts-based theories in addition to the body. Like the body feels like for me kind of foundational to always be coming back to while also lending to some of those like top-down processes of like, okay, let's, let's incorporate. And that's, I think for me, previous to learning about the incorporation of the body for me, that's what it was missing by just doing, you know, talk theory alone. The the foundation of the body has felt really important for me to incorporate with all the other theories as well. Yeah, so it sounds like you use a blend of different things. Absolutely. Yes, I love to. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah, I, <laughs> I really do. It makes sense though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, they, so many different theories have so many different pieces of value that I feel drawn to, to offer. And, and oftentimes I feel like they can be interwoven really well together. I know you mentioned going for walks with clients and, but what about with telehealth is, does this, the sensory motor does, is that something you can use like with telehealth with clients? Yeah. So you definitely can, you know, I'll say it's not without complication. If, if, um, like if I can't see the client, for example, or maybe I'm only seeing part of them. Yeah. That's Um, what I wonder. Yeah. So I really do, you know, prefer personally to see clients in person because I feel more intertwined with them. We do have the ability to go for a walk and, and be connected with each other, but it's not accessible for everyone, especially those with, with chronic illnesses. So I do just try and part of like the educational piece of working together, have them kind of be away from the computer enough so that enough of their body for me to be able to see is in frame. Like that feels really important for me. And while um, if we're online only, I might not be able to go for a walk with them. Um, we can still, you know, do different things posturally in different moments within their room. And then I might assign a request that they go for a walk and just explore and start to build some of that like body-based knowledge of like, okay, Hey, yeah. If I do, if I do focus, I can actually like feel my toes and my shoes and like my joints moving. And that is really like the groundwork of starting to identify the sensations in your body to be able to do this work because there are sensations always happening. We're just not attuning right. to them. Exactly. Yeah. So what's a takeaway you could share today that could help listeners that might be just starting to use the body in therapy? I feel like starting to do some of that groundwork of 
coming from an experimental point of view, maybe going for some walks or practicing movement and really noticing all of your sensations and being able to identify those sensations as they take place specifically without like judging or giving those sensations stories, just really noticing them as they, you know, arise feels like a really useful place to start. That sounds like that could be powerful too, because I think we're so used to giving judgment to things. Absolutely. Especially when tied to pain signals, like this must be wrong. This must be bad. But we know with, with chronic pain that isn't structural, for example, not a broken bone, that it's where we assume kind of in in pain that it's just kind of a broken pain signal response. And in fact, if if you do have non-structural chronic pain, there really might not be anything wrong. Um, so So to label it as wrong or bad can kind of continue reinforcing and amplifying those signals and experiences that we're having. So what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? Yeah. So I, like I said, I work at Kripa Family um, Psychological and Wellness Services and our website is NC as in North Carolina, psychologists.com. You can find me right on that page. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Caitlin. This was very informative. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in today. Have you gotten my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor? Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com today and sign up. And again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thank you for listening and supporting the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Are you ready to take the next step to create a holistic practice? I invite you to sign up for my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to manifest the holistic practice of your dreams through journaling. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com. Scroll down and enter your name and email address today.